listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, I got some listener feedback not that long ago that told me that it's time for us to make a pivot. <laughs> a pivot? Okay. I didn't know you were French. <laughs> no, a pivot. For those of you who don't know, that's a really obscure reference from a Bad Friends sitcom episode from like 1995. So we're making a pivot. We have spent the better part of four or five months inside of this world of modern selling, and we've done a lot of learning and introspection from inside and outside the professional services space. And we've decided it's time to, to do another series. In this one, we're going to talk about value creation, and we're going to pivot into value creation today, sort of set that up, and then invite in a handful of guests as well to help us talk it through. Now, before we do that, we should probably set the stage on what we mean by value creation. You pointed that out to me yesterday when we were prepping for this. So maybe it's easier to say what we don't mean. And I think what I want to make sure we're clear on is it's not the value you create for clients necessarily, although the value you create for clients is certainly intrinsically intertwined with the value of your firm. But what we really mean is the value of your firm. How valuable is your firm? And how do you systematically create value over time? And what does that look like? Why does it matter? So that's the, the pivot <laughs> we're going to make. That's a good pivot. As you were describing that, I'm like, I, I lean towards the value creation for the clients. That's where I've, I've just always focused so this is going to be fun for me. Well, I think that's why it's an interesting topic because I think that's where most firms are, right? They, they, they think about the value they create for clients and often individual clients, as we've talked in marketing and thought leadership, they're not always good at extrapolating up to the value they create for clients systematically as well as they are at the value they create for a client. And so they go another layer removed from that and say, well, what is the value of our firm? What value are we creating? as an organization for ourselves or for future owners or for, you've talked a lot about legacy firms. And, and, and I think that's a big piece of that is, you know, what is the legacy that you as leaders leave for the next generation of leaders in the business? And value is a huge part of that. I think that's the incredible part of this for me. I, f I find that the emotional side of this, having grown up in a family business, the concept of stewardship and leaving the company better than how you found it was was drilled into me, you know, throughout my life by my father and uncle. And when I left the business, ironically, and went to Anderson, one of Anderson's core values was stewardship. And you don't see that in a lot of places specifically stated that your goal and one of our key values is to leave the firm better than you found it. You have this opportunity as a, as a partner or shareholder of this firm because the people that came before you managed it for value. So I think it's going to be a great discussion. Yeah, I'm excited about it. We have a number of, of guests lined up that we're excited about getting underneath the topic with people that have unique and specific roles in value creation inside firms, outside firms. So I think that's going to be really interesting. I think that 
to your point, the fact that it's not talked about a lot in professional services, or at least in my experience, it's not talked about a lot, I think is also sort of interesting that there's this fuzzy idea of what you just said, stewardship. Hey, we're, we're, we, you know, we need to leave the firm better than we found it. Well, what does that even mean? And how do we maybe quantify that? Should we quantify that? What's that look like? There are certainly firms that are built for sale, right? People that are trying to build something with the express purpose of exiting. But as you know, that's not all firms, and it's certainly not even maybe the majority of firms. So I think when value gets talked about, though, it, at least in my experience, when value is center stage, if you will, it is normally in light of some kind of exit strategy. Yes. And I, I, I've always had a disdain for those conversations. I mean, I respect them. I, I understand those, and I don't fault anyone for having that mentality. It's perfectly legitimate, but I do think it creates a different culture for sure. I do believe that clients pick up on that when you're all about growth for growth's sake, because you're trying to hit a number and and get out. It's unfair for me to judge, but I, I don't really like working with firms like that. I like the firms that are trying to create legacies. And the value that comes with creating a legacy firm. Why? Tell me why. I mean, it's interesting. I agree with you. I, I, just, I want to get underneath it for a second. I'm going to get into trouble here, I think. And I haven't thought this through until we've, we've started having this conversation. I, I would have to say that those that are moving towards exit, and I think this is shaped by my time in the VC world when I was with Anderson and was leading the emerging company services and, you know, focused on those, those fast growth venture capital backed firms, there was this mentality of, of built to flip, right? Just do it quick, get out there, you know, inflate, whatever, get a higher valuation, flip it to somebody else, and then move on to your next entrepreneurial experience and, you know, get your portion of internet gold. And I, I, I think having come out of family business, I, that was just such a foreign mindset to me. And I've just never really adjusted to it because my view has always been, you know, focus on building value for the family by building value for the customers. And I don't know that customers are always best served by rapid growth companies. And as a CMO, particularly as a buyer of technology, where you're building a foundation on some of these technologies and then people flip them, they get acquired, and then the acquirer has a totally different strategy for, for the software and the disruption that that causes and, and all the chaos that goes with it. So, Well, um, let, me, let me just toss a couple of comments on top of everything you just said. The first one is, I think as we embark on this series, the same way we did with selling, I think it's worthwhile to disconnect value creation and exit. Because as you pointed out so shrewdly, the idea of building a more valuable firm, you know, is not necessarily tied to exit. And if it is tied to exit, you're probably thinking about it a little too late, based on my experience. We, we've, as you know, a lot of the thinking that I've started to kind of percolate around this topic over the last 12 months came out of working with an M&A firm on their thought leadership programs, and then applying that to the unique sector of professional services in which we operate. 
And so I think when, when it is tied to exit, you're probably a little late to the game because, you know, you, you, whatever value you created is already there. And if you're trying to exit near in the near term, there's not much you can do to, to, to radically change that value if you're trying to exit in a very soon pattern. There's also something to be said around what you said, and I, I relate this back to marketing, and I always come back to this. I, I did this super basic survey 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when I first picked out this niche and started building Rattleback in the direction that it's been and we were just looking at marketing objectives and the objectives we asked were, you know, the objective of your marketing, is it to educate and inform clients? Is it to generate leads or is it to build brand? And then we tried to determine what objective was correlated with the highest performing organizations. And the selfless objective of educate and inform were the highest performing firms. So the firms that generated the most leads had the objective of educate and inform. So it's almost like this notion of when you are sort of selfless in your objectives, you actually get rewarded more. And I would say the same thing applies here, right? It's like if you're trying to create value for the client, which is why these are intertwined intrinsically, you get rewarded with building a more valuable firm. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't seek to understand the value of your firm and how to build that value as well. Because I think you owe it to the firm and the next generation of owners or leaders to do that. And you can't just myopically only focus on the client and then assume at the end of that journey, you're going to have a valuable firm. You may not. And the third thing I'll layer on that is, is everyone exits at some point, right? You're either doing it in a purposeful way or you're, or you're, you die at your desk. You, you, you limp out the door. One of my favorite stories about that was years ago, I sat at a conference and it was a consultant to the design industries. And he described this phone call he got from a design firm principal somewhere in the Midwest asking him about what to do with his firm, if he should exit it. And he started talking to, through with him. After a long conversation, it turns out the guy was 92 years old. I think you do need to kind of, I think at this point, you're kind of past that point of of proactive exit. You just need to shut it down and retire because there's not enough time left to do anything. And so, you know, I don't think you want to be that guy. I don't think that's healthy for your your life or your career if you're a smaller firm. But as you said, you know, that's not the only one. So anyway, comments on my comments before we move ahead, (laughs) because it's always good to to banter back and forth. Well, I, I think that's good. And I'm probably too harsh in my comments. As I said, there's there's a lot of different reasons to create a business. A lot of people enjoy just the starting of the business and growing it and getting out of it. They get bored. They get bored with with building it. And I don't I don't fault them for that. That's perfectly legitimate. And then there's people like your 90-year-old entrepreneur, you know, that wants to stick around for a while. And that normal distribution is is I'm sure pretty wide in between that. But the value creation is so important, not just for an exit, but for providing opportunity or options, you know, in the short term, in the midterm as well. Because the more valuable the firm is, the more options you're going to have to do things, to serve clients. And the more valuable the firm is, there's probably some loose relationship with the margins that it can create and then what it can afford to pay people and the all the repercussions that come with a healthy, growing, profitable firm that people want to be a part of. And that is all important, right? So yeah, I just want to say that is a, a really important attribute you just put out. People want to work with winners. 
right? Yeah. And and growth and profitability and increasing value is a reflection of winning. And it's it becomes a flywheel, right? The more you win, the more you attract, the more you attract, the more you win. So it's really critical in terms of momentum for a firm as, as well. I love that you use the phrase momentum because that's the word that came to my head. And and I was thinking about, I've said this for years, when you have momentum in, in professional services or in our case, in an agency, you got to feed it fast because when it's there, it's like you're just riding that momentum because when it goes away, it's so much harder to get it back. It's easy to lose and hard to get back. So you have to feed that momentum when you have it. When we had Michael Burton from Levon, I thought he did a great job of of talking about momentum mm-hmm. and those and, and feeling those inflection points. It's important to understand when you have momentum, where the momentum is coming from. So many firms think they're building value on the momentum that they have when really all they're doing is riding a rising tide that's lifting all boats. They're not really adding value beyond what the industry is providing because of some, you know, trend or fad or business condition that everyone is partaking in. And I think that's something we should talk about in this discussion, not today, but as we bring on guests, that being able to identify that momentum and where it comes from and how to exploit it. Yeah. No, I love also that you threw in that notion of, I think you said the rising tide. I'm coming out of the throes of of really helping one of our clients try to tell a really multidimensional story about some of their client work, multi-year engagement. And really the crux of the story was there was a period in time that the client was trending with the market. And then there was a period in time when they outpaced all their peers. And that story is what we're trying to un bottle, you know, or uncork or whatever. And of course, that's when they're working with this consulting firm, right, is, is helping them find a way to lever faster in, than their peers. So kind of the things that you always talk about, and that's really what we triggered in on is, and that's the value that they're creating for the client, which in turn infers the value for the firm. Uh, the firm is valuable because they enable their client to go faster than the market. And that's meaningful. So my mini pivot, you know, I threw out kind of a weird opening joke. People might get it. They might not. I don't know. But my mini pivot in this episode before we get too far away is I want to pivot us into what I call repeated wisdom. And I'll just kind of throw these terms out there. And these are phrases that anybody that owns a business has probably heard at some point. And I think that firms struggle with it. And and, and so the first one I'll throw out there is this idea. You, know, you hear this in Vistage groups all the time. You hear it you know, in EOS groups all the time. This idea of run your business like you're going to sell it in five years, whether you plan to or not. And that's a phrase that you could hear bantered around all the time. What I find interesting about that when you hear those types of phrases, or the other one is, you need to spend more time working on your business and less time working in your business. These are phrases that get thrown to entrepreneurs all the time. Mm-hmm. And what I find funny about those terms is they're simple concepts that people love to get behind, but nobody ever actually explains what the hell that means. Or, you know, and so it's like, well, that's a great idea. What does that mean? Like, if I wanted to sell a business, what would that even look like? You know, you, there, there's no context to that. And, I, and so to me, I actually think that's part of what we want to talk about is, you know, whether that's your goal or not is irrelevant as a managing partner, as a leader of the firm, because what that is implying is build a more valuable business. The, the business is an asset that has value. That asset is either appreciating or depreciating. 
And you're either building an appreciable asset or you're building a depreciating asset. And that's one of your fundamental jobs as the managing partner and as the leader of the firm. So, but we have to kind of, I want to unpack what that means in this series is sort of where I'm going with that. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. I remember when I started Prudent Pedal, I was given all that advice as well. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you do with it? You're like, okay. What did I do with it? I used it to get clear on what I wanted. If I'm totally honest, I, I think that's what I did the most with that information and got the clarity that I wasn't building a business with the intent of exiting it, that I was creating a business to do the type of work with the type of people and to have the type of impact that I wanted to have. And that was my first priority. In retrospect, do I wish I had taken that advice a little more to heart? Maybe. I'm happy with where I am, so I think it's okay. But I do think it is, it is good counsel for firms to digest and think about what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you come in day in, day out, and you just get caught in doing what you do in day in and day out and not really think about what the goal actually is that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, it's interesting to me because it, it, it always struck me as inactionable. It was like, okay, I, I get conceptually what you're saying, but I don't really know what to do about it or how I would behave differently. And I actually think that's what I think a lot of firm leaders end up finding is that they assume that they're, you know, if you grow the firm and you deliver value for clients and you continually, you know, grow revenue and and grow, you know, I guess workforce and clients are satisfied and you're solving their problems and you're helping them that the business will be of value at some point in the future. And sometimes that actually turns out not to be the case for reasons that they didn't plan for. Mm -hmm. And so what I'd like to do with this, to some extent, this series is help owners and firm leaders understand that kind of like we did with Caffarelli, Brian Caffarelli, is all growth is not good. All sales are not good. Some sales are bad. And that there are things that you can do as an, as an owner that can affect the value of the asset that you have that is the firm. And I think it's also important that firm leaders recognize that it, it is an asset. It is uh, the same way a house is an asset, the same way that uh, investment in, in, in a publicly traded stock is an asset. And their job is to grow the value of that asset the same way that the publicly traded company CEO's job is to grow the value of that asset. And that they can't lose total sight of that. They can't forget that that is part of their duty. When I like the way you phrase that, it's like, you know, it's, it's about legacy and it's about leaving the firm better than it was when you took the helm, especially in, in large firms where, you know, sometimes you see these rotating managing partners or those types of things where there's someone who's in charge for three years and then someone else takes the helm for three years. Same idea. I think one of the critical things people will probably see as we work our way through this this series, there are going to be kind of objective definitions of what is value. And there are going to be subjective 
definitions of what value is, but it's important to understand <laughs> what your definition yeah. is. And, and we get caught up in sometimes other people's definitions, like you were just talking about. You get all this advice about what you should be doing, but what does that mean to me and how would I act differently? Why would I want to do it in that way? But I think if you're going to build value, you have to define what value is for you and your firm. Yeah, I think that's fabulous advice. And I, and I actually love the way that you interpreted the, that advice yourself, which was, well, what is it? What, what do I want? This isn't a benchmark, right? It's, it's, that's not what this is about. Just like you always kind of point out the fallacy of benchmarks, it's the same thing. Just because someone else defines value this way doesn't mean that that's how you should define value as an organization. I, th- I think it's important that you're clear on what external drivers of value are so you understand what acquirers or or even for internal transitions, what actually constitutes value from a pure economic standpoint. But you can also make the decision that you know, you're willing to forego certain forms of economic value in lieu of other forms of value that may be less quantifiable. And that's important, to, I think, to come out in this series. And I think we're going to hear, obviously, I think we're going to hear from a lot of people on the, the economic drivers of value and, and firm leaders who have, have successfully sold or made, through, made it through transitions and talk about that piece of it. But you know, getting at those other sources of value, I think, is going to be really interesting as well. All right. Well, so let's actually talk about some of those objective drivers of value, because I think some of them are pretty straightforward. You know, as I mentioned, we, for the better part of a, of a year and a half or so, we worked a lot with an M&A firm, helping them kind of derive their thought leadership stories. And one of the things that the founder always talked about was earnings, growth, and risk, sort of the fundamentals of value. So for any business of any shape, it needs, it needs to have those three things, especially in private markets and, and mid-sized organizations. Obviously, when you get into public markets and huge companies, some of these things look a little differently. But the, the ability to have the operational discipline to deliver positive, repeatable earnings, because ultimately a business is valuable to its owner because it has the ability to deliver a stream of future cash flows. If, if you were selling a business, that's the first thing someone's buying is, I'm paying you now in exchange for a stream of future cash flows. And I want those cash flows to grow. So that's kind of lever two, right? You know, I want some some ability for those cash flows to grow, either because of what you've built or what I see that I could build, that I could do more with it than you can. So I can grow it faster than you can. Well, hence I'm willing to pay you a premium for it. Or some visible statement that says that those those earnings can continue and can continue to grow because you've proven how to do that and you've got process to do that. And then risk is sort of just all the different elements of risk that would make those future cash flows go away and that growth go away. And that can be macro risk or company-specific risk. Essentially, when you look at sort of the way I've understood it through the years, you know, the, the fundamentals of value really end up kind of coming out of those three buckets primarily, you know, whereas two of them sort of define positive value and one of them is kind of like negative value. It's like risk is how you discount you know, the value of something based on how, you know, when you take away the current ownership or management team, what would happen? And then I would argue there's there's derivative sources of value that I would put on professional services firms. So those are like three, three levers that I took away from his expertise on that and that are sort of applicable to any business. But I would layer on for professional services firms, 
channel relationships. I think we definitely learned in our growth series that firms definitely derive value from being inside the right channel relationships and being partners inside of healthy growing channels where there's more demand than there is supply. That certainly then drives value. And then IP, I think one of my big takeaways in my journey over the last 11 years working with professional services firms is there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that substantive thought leadership creates tons of value that the market is willing to reward, you know, either through direct clients, clients coming to you because of your thought leadership, or if you were to do a transaction, because that thought leadership basically is a lever of growth and earnings, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a way that you're going to continue to grow and continue to deliver earnings because that thought leadership is more valuable than any one person frequently. So I, I kind of see those, at least in my mind, if I, you know, as I kind of frame this out and what it means, I see those as like the five fundamentals of value for professional services firms. Now, I'm sure as we get into this, we're going to learn from people and we'll certainly hear a lot more than that. But those are what I see as sort of like the objective forms of value as we sit right now in episode one of this series. <laughs> I like your attitude. You're like, hey, this is what I know right now, but I know my world's going to be expanded over this <laughs> next couple of episodes. Well, that's, just, that's what I loved about the Modern Selling series. And that's what I'm excited about this series is that I think coming into it, we have some good opinions about this stuff and we're going to learn a lot along the way and we'll discover with our listeners interesting new insights. Yeah, I, I guess I would throw two on top of that. One would be the client base. Yep. As we've learned in our modern times, the power of the network and really client bases are nothing more than networks that can create exponential value. And then in addition to it, and I hate this line and people know what are, is coming our employees are our biggest asset. I do think the most valuable firms have differentiated workforces because they've invested in them and not just at a pragmatic skill level, you know, to do the discipline work, but they're creating leaders and strengthening the organization as a, as a whole because of that leadership. I think it's also it's, worth noting, to your point, uh, those are great ones, by the way. I'm shocking I missed them. The, the, <laughs> the client base one is big because frequently, as you know, I mean, a lot of times smaller firms do get acquired because larger firms want access to a, a client or a handful of, of really valuable client relationships. And on, on the other front, on the flip of that, as you said, you, we've seen a lot of deals done by big IT services firms to get access to, to critical staff. So, you know, smaller firms sometimes have the ability to assemble talent bases that larger firms don't. And larger firms go, well, wait a minute, why don't I just buy that? Why, why am I trying to build that team? I can't find them. They're hard to find. This firm already has them. I'll just go bring it into my fold if mm -hmm. I can make a deal. So I love that you added those on. Those are great ones. All right. So maybe, maybe before we before we wrap, what is your over-under? How many do we miss? Do we miss like three or do we miss 50? Oh, man. As we talk to other people. I think we got the majority of the big ones, but I think there are going to be a lot of other ones out there. Or I think people's perspectives on the ones that we've shared will be different. Yeah. Or at least that's what I'm anticipating. Yeah. I agree. I don't think the over-under is 50. That was a bit of a joke. But I, but I think that to your point, we've probably covered off a good block that derive a, a large percentage of the objective value of a firm. 
And we're, we're going to find, you know, a bunch more that feed into those or enhance value on the margin or something to that effect. Or we're going to get blindsided by something we never thought of. And we're like, oh my God, how do we miss that? Which is, hmm. you know, kind of the, the, the fun of doing these, these series in this way. So, all right. So I actually am going to suggest that we go to wrap. I think we actually had a really nice kind of opening salvo discussion about this. In the outline, we had actually planned to talk about what you should be doing right now as it relates to value, but I actually think that's premature. I think it's more interesting for us to have a series of conversations with people that know a lot about value and value creation, have realized successful exits, either internally, externally, whatever, have made a transition successfully, have built, you know, have built legacy, have built value for future future leadership, that kind of thing. And then I think at the end of the series, we'll recap it with, okay, what should you do now? based on what you just heard. So for listeners, just to know, we haven't like fully scripted this series. It's going to be 12 episodes or something like that. It's probably going to be less than 10. I think we both agreed. So so we'll, we'll walk you through a series. And at the end, we'll tell you what we think it means. Thanks for going on this journey with me. I'm excited about it. I hope listeners are too. And looking forward to many of the, the interesting guests we have lined up. That, that, that sounded awkward to me. It sounds perfectly normal to me. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. Cool. All right. I'll talk to you next week. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.